You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. In January of 2017, I made my first appointment with a therapist. And I was, I was in a low point of depression, the, the likes of which I had barely ever experienced in my life. Um, but there's family history of this sort of thing, and I knew what to watch for, and I knew that this is where I was. I was, I was feeling depleted and hopeless. Um, I, I just felt like thin and fragile, right? Like that at any moment, something would just snap in me. I, I was either sleeping a whole lot or barely any at all. Um, and most, most things that just brought me joy in life just kind of seemed dull and drab, right? Like, like all the colors had just been bled out of the world. All real passion for life was just sort of gone. I was, I was not, to be honest, at a point of feeling suicidal, but it just felt like the joy of everything was not there. So I made the call. I picked up the phone. Uh, the, the therapist I connected with, he happened to be a Christian. Um, and not only that, he happened to specialize in working with people who were involved in ministry. So missionaries, pastors, other kind of uh, nonprofit people that run kind of para-church organizations. He had experience with people that were doing what I was doing. Um, he also happened to be married to, as well as work in the same practice as Angela's therapist, whom she had been working with for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half at that point. So it was a really easy connection to make. And so at my first appointment, perhaps you've had this experience, I walked in and I was given a short 21-question survey to fill out. It was, it's the, the Beck Depression Inventory. You guys know this, Right. Um, and so I went and I took this uh, fairly standard tool for screening depression and measuring severity of depression. Um, it took about 10 minutes. Uh, I handed it back to my therapist who kind of scanned it just for a few brief seconds, felt like really fast. He scanned it real quick and then just sort of, I feel like he just sort of casually said, yeah, you've got a little bit of depression going on. And in my mind, I was like, what? Like, a little bit of depression going on? Like, if that's true, then what does it feel like to have a whole lot of depression going on? Because this is, this is pretty bad. And, but but before, before, he wasn't finished. And before I could even say anything like that out loud, he followed that up with, but your anxiety is sky high. And I literally scoffed out loud. I like chuckled. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, anxiety... No, like, like, I really do feel depressed. And I, I went on and I tried to convince this seasoned professional <laughs> that I knew what I was talking about, right? I was the expert on me, right? right? Who are you with your, there's no way your little pop quiz knows me better than I, than I know myself. And he, he's a wonderful man, very good, good therapist too. He just, he leaned back in his chair and just kind of listened and let me go. And then he, he gently interrupted me and, and very gently interrupted me and kind of stopped me. He's like, okay, well, hold, hold on right there, Roger. And he calmly began to explain. He began to explain to me the differences um, and, and the complex relationship between anxiety and depression. The ways in which they, they like have a sinister way of playing off of each other, but also the ways in which their symptoms and manifestations are quite different. And most of the rest of that first session was, was 
him explaining these things and me just weeping. If you've ever had a first appointment with a therapist like that, you, you know what that's like. I suddenly felt like the, the curtains were pulled open and I saw myself even in new ways that I'd never seen myself before. Like, yes, depression was, bo- depression was bothering me. I'm not choked up. I just couldn't breathe for a second. <laughs> depression was bothering me, but anxiety was the real threat. I was in a state of depression, but the primary thing that was literally threatening my life was anxiety. Um, Today, we're beginning a new series called Anxious for Nothing. This is going to be a series through a section of Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to spend the month of June, today and the next three following Sundays, um, just kind of slowly working through this passage. And today, I've got a sermon for you guys called Altars of Anxiety and Prayer Guides. We're going to talk about altars of anxiety and prayer guides. And we're going to start reading in Philippians before. But before we do that, will you guys pray with me? We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to open us up to be able to hear and receive from him. So Holy Spirit, we, we still ourselves before you in this moment. Even in this moment, we just, we pause and we just take note of whatever level of anxiety we might be carrying right now, however light or heavy that might seem, whatever situations are going on in our life that that cause us to worry, that sometimes might actually feel like severe anxiety, that might even push us towards depression, we just name those things before you. Here we are. No masks before you, Lord. You see and know all things, and we thank you that you care. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we, just, we thank you for your presence. We ask even as we read your scriptures today that you would open up our hearts to hear you, open up our eyes to see you and ourselves in new ways. Pray that your voice would speak louder than my own today. Let us hear you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, Paul writes this to the church. And he's writing this from prison, I should say. I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but he is writing this from prison. He's not writing it from like Cabo or something. You know, he's in a bad situation. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So we're going to hone in on a couple of verses here where Paul begins to talk about anxiety and he talks about prayer. He's connecting these two. Um, He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything. That's easier said than done, isn't it? 
particularly for anyone struggling with depression or anxiety. And and not only that, but such verses like these from the Bible, they're, they're really hard to swallow when you're in that kind of state. They're really difficult to read when you're feeling something that feels so far outside of your control like that, when you, when you have these biological and chemical forces at work that are outside of your control, right? These kinds of exhortations in the Bible just feel impossible. Like if only it were that easy, you know? If only feeling joy instead of sadness was like flipping on a light switch, wouldn't that be great, you know? Just come in the room, bing, there you go. If only living in such a state of peace, he's painting this picture of this state of peace. If only that was simply uh, living in a state of peace instead of anxiety, if only that was a matter of choice, that we could just wake up one day and decide to not feel anxious or depressed and to feel peaceful. If only. Which I, I feel like I should just get, can I give you guys a quick pro tip, right? This is a pro tip, and I acknowledge there's probably some people in the room today that you're very much, um, maybe you're struggling today with severe anxiety or moderate anxiety, maybe you have in the past. And I acknowledge some people in here, like that's never quite been a real serious thing, and God bless you for that. That's awesome. We need you to help support us when we do feel that way. But here's a pro tip. If you know someone, if you know and love someone who is struggling with depression and anxiety, do not quote these verses to them. (laughs) Just don't do it. Only do that to someone that you know and don't love. Then, <laughs> then you can quote these to them and just, just dig it in a little bit. Like, it, it might be true, and this is true. I will say this. I believe in the truth of the scriptures, and I believe that these are true, and I believe that these are things that we do need to hear, but just saying them like that on the surface of it, it's not always helpful, and you might get punched in the throat. And let me just say, if you're, if you're anxious today, I, I hope that this sermon will trend towards being helpful rather than more hurtful. I, I hope that it will actually give you some, some, some hopeful tools and tracks to run on or something rather than just some kind of exhortation to like, just be different, feel different. Because the truth is the Lord, the Lord does, he desires for us to experience joy and peace instead of depression and anxiety. Depression and anxiety are the results of the fall. Those started when sin got introduced. And in the new heavens and the new earth, when we are resurrected and we are living with Jesus once again in the new Jerusalem, right? There will be no depression and anxiety. So now we still get tastes of that. We still can get tastes of that. But it's a little more complicated and takes a little more intentionality maybe than just saying, do it, be this way. So the question to me is, how then does God then lead us in this broken world with these broken bodies and broken minds and broken experiences? How does God lead us from a place of depression and anxiety into places of joy and peace? This is where Paul is giving us a little tools here. He says in Philippians 4, 6, in every situation, like which situation? Every situation. So like that one that you're thinking of right now that you're like, no way. This thing, this thing that's weighing me down, this thing that's breaking my heart, this thing that's making me feel like I can't get out of bed in the morning, this thing that's got my stomach constantly nuts, not that thing. No, that thing too, right? In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
prayer, petition, requests. To those suffering from anxiety, to those who feel anxious today, Paul proposes this remedy. Prayer, petition, requests. Now, now back in 2017, when I started meeting with this therapist, I, 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 knew this, I knew this quite well. I had probably taught this and other verses like it, right? Uh, another one that pops to mind is from 1 Peter 5, where Peter's writing. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. This, this phrase, your care, right? It's the same word for anxiety that Paul uses in Philippians 4. So Peter's saying the same thing. Toss all of your anxiety out of your hands, off of your back, and, and onto the Lord because he cares for you. Those things that you care about, he cares about them more. Learn to let them go. And so I would do that, right? So I didn't end up with a therapist because I didn't pray, right? Lest anybody be thinking that. I prayed a lot. I, I dumped all my anxieties out on the Lord all the dang time, right? Like really trusting in him, really trying to trust in him and his care for me, increasingly so. Um, I would do this more and more in the years leading up to 2017 when I finally made that appointment. I, I prayed like this all the time. Now, and as I've reflected back over this, I, I realized and this was not intentional from the beginning, but I've realized that there's a sort of prayer practice that I do or an approach that I do that I'd like to share with you guys this morning. Can I do that, right? And this is by no means like uh, prescriptive. I'm not saying do this, right? This is just descriptive. So if any of this kind of helps you in some kind of way um, in ways maybe you can reimagine how it would work for you, then do it. Um, But what I would realize is that when I pray, I often begin by creating what I would call an altar of anxiety. Can I use this phrase, right? I would create an altar of anxiety. Now, not an altar to anxiety, right? This is an altar to the Lord that is built out of and on which I would offer to him whatever is making me anxious. This altar which I could lay all my anxieties out to the Lord. And I would pray, I would pray like, Lord, may even these anxieties be offerings to you. Would, the, would even me relinquishing these and laying these out and just naming them to you, would, would that just please you? Just as if I would offer like words of thanksgiving or sing song, worship songs to him, would these be sacrifices to you? Would you not only take them into your care, but would you be pleased with them? And thankfully he would say yes. I think he's into that kind of thing. Now, one thing my therapist helped me to learn I am by no means an expert on anxiety or anything, but, but one of the things that he helped me begin to learn is that, that and again, this is painting with broad strokes, so this is by no means uh, true across the board, but that depression tends to be more about the past and anxiety tends to be more about the future. That is, depression tends to often find its power rooted in past events that were traumatic or painful or whatever, um, and anxiety tends to root its power in the future of what is possible, what, what we fear might happen or could happen and all the worst case scenarios or whatever. Depression tends to be more past-oriented. Anxiety tends to be more future-oriented. Um, and again, that's broad strokes, but that was certainly true of me. That was certainly true of me, which is one of the things that made me realize, oh, I really am way more anxious than I am depressed. 
He also helped me understand that, at least for me, how prolonged periods of heightened anxiety could and did result in depression because my body, mind, and soul could only carry all that weight for so long before something had to give, which brings me to my backpack. I know you've been wondering. And this, it really, it really is heavy. This really is heavy. Um, now, f- just for example, these are some anxieties that I would lay before the Lord in the, in the couple of years leading up to my, my appointment with my therapist. So I'm going to build this altar of anxiety with you guys. Um, the first, and so we'll jump back to like, this is also my gym bag, so it also kind of stinks, which I think fits, right? <laughs> it fits. Now, the first thing I would do, and again, this is just me, the first thing I would do, and this is my morning kind of routine, is I like to light a candle. I like to light a candle just as, as a symbol and reminds me of the presence of God with me. This is why this morning we're going to take communion. There's already candles lit. Um, I, like, I like three wicked candles in part because they're brighter in the dark morning when I'm up at 5 a.m. praying. Um, also because it reminds me of the Trinity. Today happens to be Trinity Sunday, so this fits, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, this, is, this is an Italian bergamot and cashmere candle. Got it on sale at Hobby Lobby. Not a sponsor. So we welcome your presence here. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I would begin praying, and, and, if, and maybe this is true for you, it definitely is for me, that I wake up in the morning and man, stuff is just flying through my mind, usually the things that are really bothering me. So in 2015, for example, I, I would pull out an anxiety, and, and Angela at that point was kind of beginning to come out of a rather severe depression, that was rooted in a lot of things. Part of it was postpartum. It was a whole big, ugly ball of wax, as depression tends to be. So there was a lot of anxiety for me. Um, Garrett that year um, also was beginning kindergarten. So can, can anybody relate to the anxiety that you feel when kids are beginning school? And I was mostly excited about it, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't feel overly worried, but there's a lot of anxieties. I want it to go well. I want this to be successful for him. Um, our, our church at that time, we were co-pastors of the church we had planted in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and our church, was, it was growing, right? Like numerically growing, immaturity growing, um, which brings its own complications and own, own pressures as senior pastors. Um, but a lot of people, particularly leaders that we loved and cared for in our church, were also just suffering a lot. A lot of just tragedy and just things that would come out of nowhere. And we're carrying these anxieties with them and for them. Um, also, in this time period, if you guys remember back in like 2014, all the way up to like 2015, 2016, there was a, a large publicly viewable all the time um, killing of black men in America, right? Um, a lot of pr- police brutality connected with that. It was not always, but in large part it was, and we would see videos of these things online. And so summer of 2015, I remember it was Eric Garner, Walter Scott, and Freddie Gray, all within the same month, like April. It was April of 2015. Flipping up into 2016 in July was Alton Scott and Philando Castile. And I was carrying these in my own heart. Like, to be honest with you, just as a human being, as as a white man living in America, realizing I don't have to be afraid of this like other people do, and something about that feels really, really wrong. 
raising a child who is going to a school with African-American teachers and lots of African-American friends in his school as well, and they would talk about these things. We, we had a relatively um, kind of diverse church at the time. We were a little more diverse than, than we are in this church at the moment. And, and so not breaking records or anything, but I'm having these conversations with the people of color in my church. Like, how do we deal with this, guys? How do we process this? How do we walk through this together in a church? On all those levels, my anxiety was just ramping up by the month. Um, continuing into 2016, again, the church is growing. Things are going really well. So we started searching for our own permanent facility. We'd been setting up and tearing down for years, right, in a middle school and stuff, and it was great. It was fun. Looking for a building, did a building campaign, began actually moving into a space. We were the first church in the Chapel Hill area uh, to get our own building within like the last 15 years or so. Like it just hadn't happened. So a lot of excitement, lots of anxiety when you're searching when you're asking people for more money, when you're, you're putting in physical work into this building. Um, you might also relate to the fact that 2016 was, was a bit of a hot mess politically. Good times. This is important to note because we're on the verge of this again, guys, and if we do not learn as the church from our past, then we're gonna, we're gonna really suffer from it. 2016 ripped our church a new one. And it it was so hard. It was so hard for so many reasons. Personally, as someone who's also of half Mexican descent, there was a lot of challenges whenever people are talking about walls and this sort of thing, right? But then in our church, we had, just like we do here in our church today, we have a wide variety of political opinions here. And that is good. Reese says this all the time. I'm going to say it again. That is good. We want a church like that. If we all think the same and believe the same and vote the same about every single little thing, we might have a problem that needs to be addressed. But what happened is by the time the election rolled around in 2016, I remember the sermon that I spoke on the day that... that, um, the Sunday after the election came out. It was a sermon called The Kind of Church That Sticks to the Main and Plain of Jesus. This was planned six months in advance. And I knew that, that whatever, however this election went, this would need to be said, that we are a church that focuses on the main thing of Jesus. And I addressed the political season. I addressed the political outcomes of that election. And after the service, there was a line of people lined up to talk to me. And I, I remember one person walks up to me, man, Roger, I heard what you were saying there, and, and you, I just think you didn't go far enough. You know, I hear what you were trying to say, but you just didn't go far enough. Walked out, never came back. Person right behind them walked up to me. Roger, I heard what you're saying, and I think you were just going too far. You were just pushing that way too far, and you don't need to be saying those kinds of things as a preacher. Gone. Never saw him again. Right? And so we, we live in this culture that is forcing us to be polarized, and we think that's the only options. But in our church, it caused a lot of pain, caused me as a pastor a lot of anxiety. I'm going to be really tempted to stay on that soapbox, so I'm not going to. As a result of all of this, the very end of 2016, rolling into 2017, we experienced a lot of relational loss. People in our church who had been some of our best friends, when we were living five to seven hours away from all the rest of our family, these people were our kids, like surrogate aunts and uncles who then left the church, sometimes with not so much as even a goodbye. Now, 
I have to be honest with you and understand that in that time period, my anxiety was so high that I was probably being very reactive in ways. And I was contributing to the mess in our church as much, if not more, than anyone else because I had power. I had influence. I could change those things. I was doing the best I could. Angela was doing the best she could. We were pastoring these people in this congregation as best as we knew how, but dadgum. That's all I had to say about that, dadgum. <laughs> so I would build this altar of anxiety and just naming them in the morning. I would just name these things before the Lord in less detail because he knows all the details. You guys didn't. I took a little more time here with you. And so I would, I would build this. And let me say, building an altar of anxiety like this before the Lord is good. And it did good for my soul. The problem though, and again, I only see this now in hindsight, is I would build this altar of anxiety and then I would just like, like just circle it. Here's all my anxieties, Lord. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Like take them, what's going on? Why, why do I still feel so anxious? Why do I feel more anxious? Why, why am I feeling dizzy, right? Like I should stop. That it's good to lay these things before the Lord, but then I would just circle around them and become even more anxious. Um, Steve Cuss, uh, pastor who has a great book called uh, Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's a fabulous book. Uh, one of our small groups read it um, recently as well. Says that anxiety is reactivity. All anxiety is reactivity. If we notice ourselves being reactive in a moment to something that's almost like out of our control kind of reaction, that's, it's because we're experiencing anxiety. And so then by staying at this altar, even in prayer, even in the tangible presence of the Lord, I would experience the presence of the Lord. Even there, I was keeping myself in a highly reactive state. And so creating an altar of anxiety is good, but it was insufficient. So an idea I want to tease with you guys this morning is that prayer is a place we go. I want us to think about it this way. Prayer is a place we go. Prayer is not just something we do. Prayer is a place that we go. Um, even the Greek word prayer here in this passage um, can, mean, um, can mean that. It means not just a, a prayer addressed to God, like the words we say, but it's also a place that is set apart or that is suitable for prayer. Somewhere we go in order to be with God. And so if prayer is a place we go, then we need guides to lead us away from our altar of anxiety, don't we? We can build that. We can set it before the Lord, but then we need good guides who will lead us away from that. Trustworthy guides can lead us away from our altar of anxiety and into fresh green pastures. Like Paul says in this passage that we just read, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. He says, and then after this prayer, the God of peace will be with you. This is why Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, right? So if prayer is a place, then where is he going to lead us exactly? I would say anywhere. Wherever he wants to lead us, we, we need to trust him. Location number one is our altar of anxiety. Location number two is just anywhere else that the spirit sees fit to guide us to. Now, so what I've found, and, and this was the thing that began to happen in my life, is I began to realize 
Um, in particular, sometimes the more and more leadership that I began stepping into in our church, outside of our church, in our region, in the vineyard, the more leadership and influence that I was, that I was given, the more I realized that there was ways in which I needed to be led, that I needed to yield and submit myself to other guides, that I couldn't be the one that's just in charge of myself all the time. I, I needed to pray for my heart, but I also needed liturgy. In Acts 2, right, last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday. In Acts 2, when it says that the disciples were all together, all 3,000 of them after Peter preached, and it says they committed themselves to the prayers. It's actually a little more literal, the prayers, meaning the, the liturgy and the prayers that the early church would pray. So I need prayers that express what my own words can't express. I need guides that help me pray to say things that I might not even be aware enough or perhaps brave enough to pray. So I began experimenting. I began getting different guides that I would just yield myself to and say, Holy Spirit, I trust you. Will you guide me away from this altar of anxiety to something new and good and green? If I only pray from my heart, this is the only way I was ever taught to pray growing up, is that prayer, if prayer is authentic, it's gonna be authentic words that come out of my heart just spontaneously. That kind of prayer is good, but those prayers are what got me to this altar of anxiety, and most of the time they're not sufficient to get me away from it. I need a guide. So I want to share some good guides with you guys that I began to yield to. Now I'll say this: most of these, um, and it began earlier than even 2015, um, but really started taking root in like 2017 in some powerful, powerful ways. Um, all of these, to some degree or another, are rooted in this idea of the daily office, meaning just set times of prayer before the Lord that. Instead of just like one giant chunk of like a quiet time. You guys grew up having quiet times, right? It's great. But like that was always like, you got to spend like an hour with the Lord, like in the morning or something. Instead, the idea of a daily office is that in morning, at noon, in the evening, and then before bed are like shorter times of prayer, of stillness, silence, of just being with the Lord. So all of these kind of fall under that umbrella, which may be very new to you. Um, this was not my experience growing up, but it began to revolutionize my prayer life and, and help me have a completely different experience of prayer. Um, so I just wanna share a few of these with you this morning. The first one that I really latched onto is called The Divine Hours. Um, it's by a woman named Phil Phyllis Tickle, who gets the best name award. Um, uh, it's a three volume set. This is, you can tell how worn this is. My dog got a hold of this one when she was a puppy. I still use it. It's a three volume set. Um, uh, springtime, summer, and then autumn and winter. And, and it's my longtime favorite, um, mostly because um, it was a, my first significant introduction into praying the hours. So there's a bit of familiarity there to me that's very helpful. Um, it's really easy to navigate. You just kind of turn the page to the next day and then the next day or the next um, time of day or whatever it happens to be. Um, the Divine Hours is also extremely scripture heavy. Um, ever since I became a Christian, I really loved the Bible. Through experiencing the divine hours, I realized that I was just soaking and marinating the scriptures more and more and more and more and more. And, and it taught me how to pray the scriptures, not theoretically, but just experientially. So extremely scripture heavy, which I really, really loved. Um, uh, the second one, this is called The Little Book of Hours. As you can tell, it is very little. 
And I got this one because three volumes of this is not very portable. So at some point I was like, I just need something smaller. Um, And this is from the Community of Jesus. It's an ecumenical Christian community um, in the Benedictine monastic tradition up in Cape Cod, right? So they're fancy like that. Um, But but this was a fabulous, fabulous edition. Again, it's portable, it's easy to carry. It's also very easy to follow. There's just, I think there's four weeks and there's morning, noon, and evening prayers for each day of the week and you kind of follow through it. Um, this could be a really great starting place for someone. So if, you're, if, if a larger book feels kind of intimidating to you, this one could be really great. Um, a third one, I, end, I then ended up looking uh, for something. I was traveling or something and I didn't even have the little one with me and so I was looking for something that I ended up on Kindle, right? So I could download it anywhere. Um, came across this. This is now the physical version I got. It's lovely. It's so pretty. If you see this up close, I will leave all three of these up here. If you guys want to come check them out afterwards, you're welcome to. Uh, This is Celtic Daily Prayer. Celtic Daily Prayer. It's from the Northumbria community um, from England. And and again, uh, it's a lovely prayer experience. If you're looking for something that's just maybe even further off the beaten path, that pulls from sources of prayers and of readings that are maybe far outside of our tradition, um, as evangelicals or Protestants even, um, this could be really, really fabulous for you guys. Um, also, just want to give a special mention to two apps. If you've not experienced these, I, I highly encourage you to do these as well. One is called Pray As You Go, and the other is called Lectio 365. Get them wherever you get your apps. Um, all of these are really great guides to just say, Holy Spirit, I trust you in what I'm supposed to pray now today. I've laid out for you my anxieties at my altar of anxiety. Where are you now going to lead me? And so I want to wrap this up by by doing some of this prayer together. Can we do that really quickly? I feel a little bit like, like it's one thing for me to stand up here and talk about anxiety in prayer. It's another thing for us to maybe just do some of it. You guys with me? So first things first. So show those three again. Um, the divine hours, again, Phyllis Tickle, super scripture heavy. Um, the little book of hours, also like wonderfully accessible. Celtic daily prayer. As you just look at those really quickly, just consider for a second, which one is your like attention kind of drawn to? Which one of those maybe feels like highlighted to you? Um, you're not like committing to anything major at this point, right? Um, so let's see, show of hands, divine hours, Anybody? I'm just doing a quick scan. You gotta raise them high, because I'm vision's impaired. How about the little book of hours? Is that, I feel like there's more. Um, Celtic daily prayer? Anybody? Oh gosh, I feel like Celtic daily prayer wins. We're gonna do that. <laughs> so we're, we're gonna do this. I will say this is a slightly truncated version for, for sake of time, um, but we're gonna pray, and this is just exactly, if you were to pull out Celtic daily prayer for this date, This is exactly what is in here that that we're going to pray together. So right now where you are, close your eyes for a second. Take a few deep breaths. Just center yourself in the presence of God. And now just in your own heart and mind, Just take like 30 seconds and build an altar of anxiety to the Lord. You can even picture doing it up on this communion table up here, right? 
Jesus understands our anxieties. Just name whatever things are worrying you. Name whatever things are are causing you some level of anxiousness in your life. You're not trying to solve them. You're not even asking the Lord to do something at this moment. You're just laying them down. Lord, these are our offerings to you this morning. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to use this Celtic daily prayer to be our guide, to lead us away from this altar of anxieties. We trust it all to your care. So as we pray on the screens, things that are in regular font is what I will say or pray. Things that are in bold font, I encourage you guys to pray along with me. Can we do that? So we'll begin. You can go to the next slide, Charles. We're ready. Nope, back one. There we go. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And all together, one thing I have asked of the Lord This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Who is it that you seek? We seek the Lord our God. Do you seek him with all your heart? Amen. Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your soul? Amen. Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your mind? Amen. Lord, have mercy. Do you seek him with all your strength? Amen. Christ, have mercy. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Psalm 11, praise for God's wonderful works. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever.
And the reading for today is from Luke 12. It's, the words won't be up there, but just let this wash over you. And again, I did not pick this scripture. This just happens to be the reading for the day. Luke 12, Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your lifespan? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. And give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's take about 30 seconds or so just to offer up prayers for others. In the quietness of your heart, whoever comes to your mind, lift them up to the Lord. Amen. Let's continue to pray together. Christ as a light, illumine and guide me. Christ as a shield, overshadow me. Christ under me, Christ over me, Christ beside me, on my left and my right. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful, Be in the heart of each to whom I speak, and the mouth of each who speaks unto me. This day be within and without me, lowly and meek, yet all-powerful. Christ as a light, Christ as a shield, Christ beside me, 
on my left and my right. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Why don't you guys stand with me?